Hey Babe podcast. I'm Mary. And I'm Caitlin. And we're here just chatting about all the things near and dear to our hearts. So grab your favorite beverage because we're going to go deep and have some fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh, join us. Hey babes, happy New Year's Eve. Or if you're listening to this later, happy New Year. 2021 is here and we are so here for it. Okay, more on that in a bit. Today, we have a really special guest and Caitlin and I just wanted to take a quick moment to introduce her to you. We're having a conversation with Angela Engel. She is the founder of the Collective Book Studio. She's also a wife and a mom of three daughters and is really doing some cool stuff in the world of books. She has built a different kind of publishing business, one that adheres to the author's vision every step of the way. Her experience in traditional publishing allows her to introduce beautiful books in the world, and she brings her passion for reading and sharing new ideas into every new project she undertakes. So without further ado, we'll launch into that conversation and then get back to the new year. We have Angela Engel here with us today. We've already introduced her, um, but Angela, thanks for joining. We're glad to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about who you are and sort of like, like we introduced you before in the beginning of the podcast, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you started the Collective Book Studio or sort of why you started it. Um, question, I know. Yeah, it's a big question. Um, So I started in publishing 20 years ago, um, right out of a college uh, with a comparative lit and creative writing major. And 20 years ago, the world of publishing was just different. Like there were New York Times bestsellers from independent small houses out of Berkeley. I remember um, writing the wave of the four agreements from um, Amber Allen Publishing House. Or um, Seven Stories had 9-11 by Noam Chomsky when uh, 9-11 happened in New York. So it it was just different. Jeff Bezos and Amazon was like a garage, you know, and only a bookseller. It was just such a different landscape. And working in the traditional industry has been just awesome, working with both editors and designers and So I had all these groups of people, of creatives, and as um, publishing has changed with self, the self-publishing model, I sort of realized over three years ago that the reason people were turning to self-publishing had a lot to do with access. So I thought to myself, what if I decided to form a company and gave access to the minds of traditional publishing people and the distribution of, and yet, and and yet, kept the quality, mm. uh, and that's how I started the collective book studio. I just thought that there was a need in the in the market. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such an interesting. Um, I I think uh, as as you know, right? I'm starting the process of writing a book. I've talked about it a little bit on here. And when I started thinking about writing this book, I was like, well, how do I even get started? I know I have some things to say and I've always wanted to write a book, but then you start looking at the process of like pitching your book. Right. And I don't know anybody in the industry and all those things ran through my mind. So what really drew me to you and the collective book studio um, was that it, like you said, access. So that's maybe, you know, such an interesting point is there's so many things that 
we don't actually feel that we have access to. Um, but we, but maybe, you know, we have some sort of skill when it comes to writing and sharing your story. Um, but you wouldn't be able to in a traditional way unless you had some connection. So I think that's so cool. Yeah. I think also like traditional publishing has the big five, whether that be Random House or Simon and Schuster, um, Harper Collins, Hachette, they, they've, there's a lot of small independent presses that have made, have been sold into those companies and they've just gotten smaller and smaller, the opportunities. And so there's so many people, it's about your platform and everything else that the act, it's just, it's difficult. And, and so then what I've saw is that people were turning to self-publishing as like an alternative and yet noticing that they then had to become a publisher almost, right? Like they're trying to run their business or do what they're doing and then also have to sell and market. And at the, at the same time, they also realize that distribution is limited for them. They don't have a publisher behind them essentially. So I, I just truly felt in order to preserve sort of our art form, like the book I believe is, a, is an art form, um, whether you're writing a novel or whether you're producing a cookbook or a self-help book, like there is an art form to writing. And I felt that unless there could be a way where we could kind of guide people in how you structure a book and how you um, make sure all of the copy editing or like you need an index or whatever you need, um, and even down to typography, if I was, and, and production, like the physical beauty of printing and the quality of paper, um, if I could offer all of that, then I, I think people would feel there would be another way to get their creative idea out or their story. Right. Because you can oh just put writing. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. You can just like feel your passion for this, which is so, it's so encouraging, right? Like it's, that's what as women, as entrepreneurs and mothers in the meantime, like there's so much that's going on, but when you have that passion, that fire for something, and then you see it through, um, it just obviously you're doing amazing things. Okay. One of my big questions for you. Cause I know when I was starting to work on what I wanted to do, my passion, right. I had a pretty targeted image. So I'm curious, did you have like a, um, did you know who your target audience were or were you thinking, I just want to help people, whoever that is, I want them to help them, you know, get their words onto paper and in the hands of other people. Oh, that's yeah. So, um, no, because I also know how to stay in my lane. So my background is really lifestyle publishing. Um, is anything f full visual books? I, I'm really talented. Gift books, ancillary product, whether that be notebook, notebooks or journals, note cards, as well as career development or parenting. Like I know what my skill set is because I've spent 20 years in sales, marketing, and business development, and in that field. So if I always say, if when people come to me and they've written a novel, I'm not the right company or the right person because I don't know if they should drive off the bridge or jump off the bridge in the novel. <laughs> That's not my wheelhouse. So I just felt like my vision 
was to do what I do best, which is understand that the book is a product, right? It's something we feel, we smell, we love, we remember in the coffee shop or um, when we're reading the self-help book and like it really like inspired us to start journaling and have a better relationship with a parent, our mother, for example. <laughs> we remember all of those things about the book. So I really do, my passion was when I saw that that was something I could offer right? I could offer how I package, how I think, what I trim size should it should be, should it have illustrations, and how then to get it out into the world. That's when I knew that this was the right path for me. And I, I honestly also knew it because of the team that came with me that said they would do this with me. Like, I always thought I'd have a co-founder. I asked several people and every single one of colleagues with even within the publishing industry, we're like, you can do this on your own. We'll, we'll be happy to be a contractor or come aboard or be part of the collective. But um, what was so encouraging, everyone I talked to was like, Angela, we believe that you can do this. Mm, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, it is huge. I, uh, I think that's the first time I've ever really said that out loud. So it's like, really like, wow, that is, because I'm now going into year three. <laughs> yeah. So wow, I like, that's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of, um, you, you talked about like the types of books that you specialize in helping people create and really produce um, from start to finish. Um, tell us like, what are some of the, what are some of the books that you've worked on that you're super proud of? I'm sure you're proud of them all in, in different ways, but what are some of the books that you're most proud of and, and why? And we'll start there. Well, um, I do have one of my very first clients, um, Sue Groder, um, which is parenting with sanity and joy, mm -hmm. which I think we all can relate to as moms. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think that Sue Groner's book means a lot to me because as one of my first clients um, in into the trade, meaning will be part of my imprint, I did do have a wonderful client, but it was a package. It's a little confusing how publishing works. Um, we started as packagers, meaning it will go in a larger publisher. It will be distributed with a larger publisher to launch my own imprint, the collective studio imprint with my logo and to have your first client kind of believe in you and have the content really good. Like Amy Treadwell is the editor on this and her was 18 years at Chronicle Books and her and I are friends and to watch her work with Sue and then to figure out the illustrations and the right illustrator as a team and then have literally the designer um, she's fantastic and she is an old childhood friend of mine. So to watch the collective grow, I think I'm the most proud of. I'm the mm -hmm. most proud of the book we produced as well as the team that produced it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, you know, it makes me think of just, you know, being in business as a woman and, and really having to surround yourself with the right kind of people. I mean, I don't even think it's just in business, but in life and friendship and motherhood, I think there's so much just to say for, um, 
having had experiences where you didn't surround yourself with the right people to figure out, um, to know what it feels like when you're in the right place, if that makes sense. Um, and I feel like that's, that's what Mary and I have talked about a lot on this podcast is surrounding yourself with the, the type of people that, that are going to really help you. I don't know, feel most like yourself, grow, evolve, kind of feel like you're where you're supposed to be. Yeah, I love that. I said this when I first um, was asked by Publishers Weekly, which is a trade magazine about our clients, like our authors, how we select them, right? And I said, our our clients, our authors choose us as much as we choose them. Um, and if you can have that kind of concept of like, if you surround your client and they want you and you want them, you've already gone on the path of like, really, uh, uh, you've started the right path. You're walking down a, the right partnership, right? I, I, I call myself a partnership publishing house. So like every client has to choose me as much as we choose them, right? And that's what's going to make a good partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. What about... Um, doing this all starting this all on your own as a mother of three girls <laughs> well um, <laughs> so my career has not been like a straight path so um I had my first baby is already going to be almost 13 years old and it took me a long time to figure out when I would want to have a second one I had a great job. Um, I loved it. I was at Chronicle Books, but I traveled a ton. Um, I was on an airplane at least twice a month, mm. um, pumping all the time in like literally <laughs> the airport of bathroom, the airplane bathroom, um, a shuttle once. I mean, just <laughs> like, cause I was so needing to pump. Yeah. Um, so I I left and went actually into the baby industry for about six years into baby fashion and design, still selling large accounts like a Nordstrom's or a Whole Foods, a Bye Bye Baby. But in the baby industry at trade shows, like you could carry your baby on your ergo and I was able to have my second child. And it was a great experience to work in baby and home and fashion because it moved so quickly. But again, I, I missed this art, this publishing, this book. So I went back, um, in, I got pregnant kind of by accident with a third and <laughs> I was at a trade show, even in baby world. And I was like so big and I was in head of sales and I was like, oh my God, I can't keep doing this with a third baby. Right. Your sales, my, like everything, my body is going to crack. So I, I quit and I ended up consulting and I missed book publishing. So I went back and I did some business consulting and I noticed in the time that I left that publishing was still moving like at a snail rate. And yet all of our social media, all of our print line magazines, like everything else is moving so quickly as well as self-publishing. But I was like, we can be faster and still get quality. We're not going to be as fast as self, but we can do this better. And I think I learned that from the art of like a baby and fashion world, right? How you be creative, how you can, as a mom, like how you can create product that makes sense for the end consumer and like, act, but also be able to get it onto shelf within six to eight months because it's based on a, a mother need or a, or a consumer need or a fashion trend. Um, so 
I think I'm kind of answering your question, right? What mom of three of like how I started this was really just, I saw like this need that an industry needed to change and needed to move faster. Mm -hmm. I saw that because of my children. And I have to say one other thing. My husband, he's, um, has, has his own business and really uh, accounting and does really great and was able to build his accounting firm while I had this third. And But my oldest said something really important. I was driving in the car, picking, like with the crying baby of my third, my little other one who's four, my middle one who was four at the time. And my old, and um, probably my oldest about nine years old. And I'm at a stoplight and they're all crazy. And um, Maya says something, my oldest, like, I want something. And I said, let's just call your dad. He makes all the money. And the girls just went silent. And I went silent. I was really upset. And Maya, my oldest, who remembers my big career and like, you know, mom in her suit going to fly to Target and fly to Costco and do her sales presentation, she says, mom, you can make money too. Mm. Wow. And And then I was like, she's right. She's right. So then, you know, here I am. Yeah. What, what a memorable moment, right? Obviously that really stuck with you. Yeah. How shortly thereafter in that moment, did you get back into publishing then? Um, pretty recently I went and I networked. I had actually answered a friend, old colleague at Chronicle on Facebook with mm-hmm. looking for some advice on, on some development on a beautiful, big, huge look book, wine book out of Napa Valley, like this luxurious Napa Valley wine, women, coffee table book. And mm-hmm. I on Facebook and I was like, Hey, I would love to meet up. So I met these two women for a lunch and like the rest was kind of history. And I got a job doing business consulting and how could, which was great. I love this little publishing house. They're actually an independent publishing house. And they recently um, have joined forces with Abrams, which is wonderful publishing company in New York. And I just did business development for them and like looked at like how, what could be other avenues on on publishing? How can publishing kind of change? And then, um, and I was consulting and then I had this brainiac idea of the collective book studio and the publisher, Chris was like, that's a great idea. You should do it, Angela. And so, um, it was really shortly after my oldest said that to me that I was like, I think because I have a sales and marketing and business development background, I was like, she's right. Like I can take my skill set, and it might, I might, I was, I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. I right. had three kids. Like I was 40, um, you know, I'm, I was almost 40 and I was just like, you know, I think I can do it. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> like, I, you did. I think it's just like that, that idea being born, like a simple statement from your daughter that was not so simple. Right. And so powerful. I like that. That is so cool. And then you created this whole business from there. Yeah. 
it's pretty awesome too because in COVID, it's been such a blessing to have the Collective Book Studio. My husband's in the restaurant business. And as we all know, that's not been friendly for COVID. No. He does small restaurants and boutique restaurants throughout the Bay Area. And so um, to have me, I've all, myself already have been in business for over a year and a half and to have clients and to, ha- and to grow and to have new clients and my, mo- and my model being able to build, be building and bring in revenue for our family, um, I think has only been really, truly a blessing and honestly something really exciting for my girls to see. I have three girls. So for them to see this, like, mm. uh, it's just awesome. They'll come in. They'll often ask if this book they're writing or drawing can be published. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. So cute. Okay. So what about like, um, do you ever, okay, two part question. Do you ever give, give, give books as gifts? And if so, which one have you been given? Have you been giving out most recently? Oh, that's a cute, awesome question. <laughs> yes. I give gift books as gifts all the time. It's kind of my go-to. I actually just gave uh, the newest diary of a wimpy kid to my niece. Uh, um, so I, uh, I give, I give books all the time. It's sort of like I'm the aunt that only gives books or like a gift certificate to an independent bookstore. That's definitely true. My sister, I gave her Trevor Noah's, his memoir for her birthday. Um, I'm always giving books, actually. Um, And I'm also buying books as gifts for myself. Okay, so let's go into self-care. Because I know that's something you love to talk about. And Mary, I assume with your background. So I actually want to talk about books as self-care. Like for me, I bought After the Rain, uh, Chronicle Books. It's um, Alex L's new book. Like, and it's, I just wanted it for me, for the holidays. I wanted to sit in my bed and I wanted to read it. And I deserve to like buy it for myself. So I often do that too, is that I'll Mm -hmm. go get a book that I, if I want this and I know that it will make me feel good, then I get it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I love I've, that. Lately in this season of just being home all the time. And I feel like I, I mean, as, as we talked about kind of offline, Angela, I listen to a lot and Mary knows a lot on audio and I've consumed more, which I, I love holding a real physical book. I really do. But I, I feel, I find that just for the way my life is right now, it's better to, to, to take in the information than not. And I've listened to so many books in this season because I can just pop it in when I'm, you know, doing the dishes or pretending to play with the kids or whatever. And yeah. You must have a strong feeling about audiobooks. (laughs) I actually love, I actually love them. I don't. So like, I actually have a client. She's awesome. We produced her book, um, Blind Spots, um, which is, kind of about the state of education and her Dr. Kimberly Barron's. And she found me because I wrote a blog post saying physical books outsell eBooks 11 to one. Well, audiobooks too. Like I don't believe they compete. I believe it's just another avenue to have access to what, what that physical book, that physical book is going to sell on its own, right? With the right distribution and the right, 
sort of marketing and idea and concept and, and as long as it's high quality. So I'm never worried about those. I think those are other mediums. I actually myself bought Vanishing Half both in the physical and in the audiobook. Okay. okay. So like I um, do that and I actually have a subscription to Libro FM and I highly recommend because what you can do is you can actually link your audiobook to, um, subscription to an independent bookseller. So I did that and you don't have to have it in your hometown. So like, for example, for me, I actually did it with a really awesome independent bookseller in, in Kansas City. Um, and they're black w- women, black owned. And it was really important to me to link and give money when I'm getting audiobooks there. So there's a way that you could actually give back in audiobooks that you necessarily can't um, in other in other other ways. So that's- but I didn't know that really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that. And I just find, you know, there's some books that you like you said you have to hold like I I love the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert and for me I couldn't I could listen to that on audio but I I have the physical copy because I need to keep coming back to it I feel like each time I read it I I learn something new or hear something different so um I think there are there's something really powerful to to having both what about on a totally different note um this is like such a spotty question but do you do you feel like there's anything that you're like, oh, I wish some people would, more people would write about this subject, or I wish women would share more of these stories, or is there anything that you feel like is just kind of missing in the book world right now that, because you devour so much of them, you know? Um, I think that one thing that I love, or what I, what I look for is how sort of this, this like idea of like reinventing sort of ourselves, like whether that be through like a real action, like a book that has like real actionable ideas and concepts and, and steps to really propel you forward. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of, of of this sort of career development, self-help genre. And Caitlin can speak to that, but like you know, we acquired some books for our fall list. One is Hope and Healing. Um, and it's going to be wonderful, like a, a compilation of these essays. And when the book came to us, it really was at first pitch, like for the pandemic. And we as thinkers in the space were like, wait a second, the pandemic can be a part of somebody's story or an idea, but the I, this universal thing of hope and healing, that doesn't go away. That mm-hmm. doesn't away for centuries, right? We have mm-hmm. books out there that we fall back to. There's a book called Power of Now. It probably mm-hmm. published, mm-hmm. what, 18 years ago? But it, we still go back to that book. Absolutely. So that's my point. That's what I try to see in my the clients that come to us with an idea is how can we make this an evergreen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This I, so this book I'm really excited about for the fall list on hope and healing that's an evergreen to me that I think if you can put stuff into the world that, um, that has a message and this, this is also for children's books too, right? Like actually creating a successful children's book is really hard. Mm. Oh, I'm sure. Because people forget, like if you only have 50 words, a hundred words to convey, every word has a lot of meaning. 
Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so that means, so if anybody's listening and they want to write a book, Angela is looking for an evergreen. She is looking (laughs) for an evergreen. Totally. But I do, I I love that. It's so true. I mean, there are books that even like my mom has read back when she was my age and she's like, you've got to read this book. It is so good and you'll love it. And it has nothing to do with the time frame that I read it in. Correct. Good night moon. I exactly. Everyone will read good night moon forever. And like, I always say, that's the children's book you want. I mean, I have a great children's book coming out in May called Gratitude the Great. The reason the book is so good is that it's about social and emotional learning and Mm -hmm. getting there in this, like, and and, and we have this afterward by Deepika Chopra, who's an, um, she is all about optimism in LA. And, you know, the way that, Pamela and Rocco has written it and worked with our very experienced children's editor to match the illustrations with this idea of gratitude. That's the magic of the children's book, picking every single word so that a four or five-year-old really understands that kind of social emotional behavior and learning to grow together. So those are the types of books that I look for. Yeah. And man, if we had more of those children books on the market, then we wouldn't have to write so many books for adults about hope and healing and <laughs> personal growth and development because there wouldn't be such a need. Right. But that's a whole nother tangent I could go on. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So cool. And then that made me think, Mary, uh, based on your question, I'm like, what are some books that you're just like, okay, can we not write about this anymore? Can we just move on from this topic? Or this is, I, I, I feel like you're going to say there's always a different angle to tackle a topic, but what's it one topic that you're just like, I'm, I'm over this. <laughs> well, I think there's a fine line between when you write, right? Cause there's something called memoir. So you have to be really, really careful about your personal story because everyone has a story that's important. Honestly, I'm just being straight honest. How many people are really going to read everyone's memoir is very slim. Mm -hmm. And so we don't do memoir. That's not something that um, we're, I'm very skilled at. There are very successful memoirs and publishing houses that know how to address a memoir, but a memoir usually, right, in some way has to lift us up or bring us forward. Why is the reader wanting to read it? Right. I first always start with who is your audience and who, because that is the, who's the audience? Who's going to pick this up and really benefit? Because we, we write for therapy and then we write a book. It's totally two different things. Does that make sense? So I think Mm -hmm. I'm happy to give advice to people, but some people They just need to write for therapy, which is not a bad thing. Not everyone needs to write a book. Everyone has a story. What we help with is then find the book within somebody. Such a good point. Yeah. This is a, this, the very process I'm kind of walking through myself as I'm starting to write, because I want to write from a place of my truth and also from a place of a therapist. And, um, so many questions come up about that, right. Of how much of my story am I going to tell and how much of it will be helpful. 
And why am I telling that part of the story so that I can move people forward, right? So that I can share some sort of message of, yeah, look, I'm a hot mess too. And here's how we can, (laughs) here's how we can move forward now that we're both aware that we're all hot messes. Um, But it is an interesting thing. I feel like there's so many books right now, memoir style, but I always thought you had to be somebody famous to write a memoir for anybody to really want to read about you. Do you think that's still true? It doesn't necessarily seem like it. I think you have to be, have a sub, a pretty big platform to have it sell. Although I do think that there are successful memoir writers, but they, but they have, but they're also they also have this ability to weave stories. So their memoir is more like a novel. Does that make sense? Like, Mm -hmm. I think people who, unless, if you're not famous, you're, you're usually, and you wrote a memoir, it's usually because you're, you're a very strong writer. Yeah. Have you read, you should talk to somebody by Lori Gottlieb? No, I need to read that. I'm not it right now. And I think I'm geeking out right now, but I think she does such a beautiful job of, and she's a therapist, but of weaving in and out of her story and her client stories. And it's, it's one of the best books I've ever read. And I mean, I'm curious who our editor was, because a lot of times I also notice, like, we get manuscripts, but then, like, it's amazing, amazing, the magic of an editor. So we use, there's so many layers of editorial, but we use something which we call a developmental editor. And they really can bring out people in a way um, that's just different, right? They're, they're so used to looking at at books and how do you structure a book and um, how do you weave story? And I think a lot of that actually has to do with how great editors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so go ahead, Mary, sorry. Oh, no, I was just gonna say, how do people find you or what you have coming up like do you do you post about what your new books are going to be where do, where are those found um so we um have use well of course we have like our website and social media and stuff like that but more importantly um we use traditional avenues so there's some back-end catalog digital catalog that lives uh in the world of booksellers and librarians and book bloggers called Edelweiss and Mm. all our metadata and we upload all the information and give out a free e-galley there and so that's a way that librarians or things could know what we're getting published um we also have a full sales team um out of Chicago um, independent publishers group and they're cataloged and their sales forces out there. So there's huge, you know, databases. So that our warehousing, the warehouses or the wholesalers know how to buy from them. And honestly, um, trade advertising does help. So just focused on making sure, you know, well, when they were, they're still doing virtual trade shows, but you know, just traditional avenues to make sure, um, the, that um, that booksellers and buyers know about it. And then we really do rely on our authors as any publishing house does, right? You have to be dedicated when you're going to produce a book to be talking about it, yeah. to be looking at other podcasts, giveaways. You know, yes, Amazon is a vehicle you can do advertising on, but you set up an Amazon author page. Like there's lots of things, bookshop.org. Like there's a lot of things that we do 
to ensure that um, we just help our authors figure out how to launch their book successfully in the market. Well, we'll definitely add, I'm sure Caitlin won't have a problem with this, but adding like onto our website, um, if anybody's interested in, um, I already want to read all the books you just mentioned that you guys are going to be coming out with <laughs> soon. So we'll link the website and your social media. Cause I'm sure you guys do. And do you actually announce on social media when something's coming out? Oh yeah. Yeah. And we have a newsletter. People should really subscribe. You can just go onto our website and we do like feature blogs of our authors. Like we have a cookbook coming out in the fall called, and 52 Shabbats and we published her. Mary, you can write your cookbook. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. We published Mary. her like donut, donut recipe. So if you get our newsletter this week, you're going to get a really, really cool donut holes recipe with, with old Hala. Or, you know, we have Alicia McKenzie, she's an entrepreneur and a fitness coach, and we're doing her Amplified Lifestyle book in the fall, and we just wrote a blog post on her. We're very partnership-oriented, so in all of our blog posts, um, we featured, we have a great author, Overly Honest Teacher. Um, she's awesome, and um, she wrote a great blog post that I absolutely loved on her own blog, so we crossed it on ours and sent it out into our newsletter. So I'm always looking at ways to partner with my authors because most of them are also entrepreneurs themselves. And so I think we lift ourselves up. Like I'm, I, my name is the collective book studio for a reason, the collective, like I do believe really strongly that like every single piece helps with the the sale of the book. Right. Um, so how I can support my authors through my own um, marketing vehicles. I always do. Love that. So the website is the collective It's is actually, right? it's actually the collective book dot studio. It's actually the collective book dot studio. The collective book dot studio. We'll post that. And then your Instagram page is what's your Instagram handle. It's thanks. It's, um, at the collective books studio. Perfect. Love it. Um, yeah, no, this was really great. I love our covers, by the way, our covers are beautiful, I think. So it's all about a good cover design. Oh, I love a good book cover. I know it's really what draws me to the book, honestly, part, you know, what first draws me to the book, obviously, um, is the cover. So that's so important. Do you wish people would more seriously judge a book by its cover if you spend so much time working on a book cover, like literally? Well, people do. They yeah. I mean, they do judge a book by its cover. It's so important. And like, also like how it just feels in your hand and how the paper feels. Um, you know, I read, I wrote about this. I read the best book in college called um, The History of Reading by Alberto Manguel. He's an Argentinian writer. And there's a moment in the book where he talks about when you're sitting in a cafe and a cup of coffee spills on your book cover. And then you'll forever remember this book cover because how tattered it was and like what you were doing and how it, how, how it all, what's in that book has a lot to do with just that time you're reading it. Like there's just so many things that, again, you were saying you, there's some reason you're compelled to read a book and how it feels, right? Mm. Um, so anyway. And literally the physical book becomes or has its own story. Yeah, yeah. It does. I know. I know. I, I, I 
strongly believe that. Like, if you think about like your favorite book you read with your kids, what is that? Like, what do you love laying in bed at night? Think about the book that your kid always brings to you. And you've probably read it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. I have one. Yeah. yeah. We read that. What is it? Good night construction site or whatever. Oh, for- yeah. Yeah. Good night. Good night construction site. Great. Yeah. Book. Katie and the smallest bear was a book from when I was a kid. We still have it. And the pages are all torn and ripped and yeah. So there's like something so intimate right now that you'll never forget. Like for me as a childhood memory is um, the little engine that could. Mm-hmm. My dad used to read that all the time. And then when I couldn't figure out how to ride a bike, like he basically repeated the lines of the little engine that could, and then I could figure out how to read a bike. So like, that's what I like the book for me right now for my youngest is elephant and piggy. Like she can't get enough of elephant and piggy. Mm-hmm. Oh, William. So it's just like, those are the types of things that I think why I do what I do is I see that joy. I see the joy that it brings to my own family, but I also see the joy of producing a book for my clients and my authors. Like, it's just, it's really special to like, see something bring so much joy to people. Yeah. And it impacts people so much. I mean, I remember as a child reading, um, I'll love you forever. And I was like, I couldn't tell if I wanted to cry or become a mom or do like, I don't even, there were so many emotions reading that book. And I love, love. And I mean, we still read that book in our family, but now like right now we're going on a never ending trend with the whole series of the bear sleeps on and, and the, and the Christmas, you know, uh, what is the bear wakes up for Christmas or whatever it is. But my kids are like, there's so much joy behind this, you know, age old tradition of turning pages and having parents having special voices for characters and absolutely, it's, it's such a special thing. So I still anyway. have my favorite cookbooks. I know everyone else goes like on, you know, Epicurious or wherever you can go, but like personally, my favorite go-to is this big, huge crock pot cookbook for slow cooking recipes. And I still take it out. And it's like, full of like beef juice <laughs> all over it. and totally. yet it's like the best thing to use. There's just something to be said about my book that I have my favorite cookbook. I also love cookbooks. I, whenever I've looked up a recipe online and then, you know, your phone goes dark and now your hands are messy and you can't yes. turn your phone. It's like, Oh my gosh, just get my cookbook out. Exactly. <laughs> you can put like beef juice all over it. <laughs> like, like spill stuff on it. Like, the gingerbread cookies that I make, right? Out of Betty Crocker. Like who, yeah. like that cookbook should, you know? Yeah. It's great. Yes. I love doing cookbooks. It's a category that, you know, I never want to really go away. Everyone does a lot on apps, but there's something to be said about, you know, not having to have your electronics by you as you cook. Yep. Mary, another sign. You need to write a book. Oh, are you supposed to write a cookbook, Mary? I, it's just funny. My mom is this amazing cook and, but her recipes are huge and extravagant. You know, she, she starts cooking at like 7am for dinner that night, but she loves it. Like the passion is so there. And you know, at like 530 and my kids are hungry and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to make? I'm like one of those moms, but I've, I've, I was saying a little while ago on our Instagram that I've started to really hone in on my, like my easy go-to 
really good though dishes that my husband is like, if I throw it together in 30 minutes and he's just like, this is amazing. How, you know, I can't believe you made this today. I'm like, Oh, I made this literally 20 minutes ago. And so we were saying that for the, for the busy mom, like, but who doesn't want to just throw something in the microwave? Like I'm, I'm trying to really compile some good recipes so that we can share them more. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think I just was on a call with a prospective client about a cookbook um, and today, and I'm a huge believer in, look, you, you don't need to produce the restaurant $50 full color book here that's going to cost $100,000 to produce. But like you, there is something to be said about sort of my tried and true truth. Literally my slow cooker favorite, I don't even know who the chef is of that person. I have zero of contact. It's just a big two color tome of every slow cooker recipe I would ever want. Right. Yeah. So like, what is the most useful to moms when you asked about a category that like, if I looked at, if it was good recipes and useful, again, that's an evergreen, right? It's mm -hmm. pop culture. It's not all of a sudden about like, is it the macaroon or the whoopie pie that we're making <laughs> really about like really a useful tool. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea. I actually think that's a good right? Cause like, well, we'll see about that one. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. And on that note. Okay. Well, um, thank you again so much for joining us. I know that everybody will love not only hearing about all of this stuff, but also love following along with what you guys have coming out. This is really going to be fun to watch now that we're clued into the collective book studio. So yeah. Thank you guys. It was a treat. It was really a special treat just to taking some time away from my three children in a pandemic and oh yeah days to just talk with yes. you ladies yes Breaks are and well. after our book club oh I want I'm totally coming especially because I read that one so I'm like have to come I read yeah yeah January yes. the vanishing half we can't wait we'll it's send you our invite <laughs> please do I absolutely love that book all right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And we will all chat soon. Okay. Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, not only to today's podcast, but all the ones since our launch November 1st. Crazy to think that was just two months ago. We've really enjoyed sharing our lives and are so grateful that you're sharing your lives right back with us. We are really looking forward to a great 2021. Caitlin and I hope that you are off to a great new year already. And even though we know no year is all rainbows and butterflies, we're hoping that you're feeling true and authentic and good in your own skin. That's our hope for everyone every day. And we're so, so glad that we get to have these honest conversations because this is what keeps us sane. This is what keeps us connected. We are sending lots of love out to all of you, and we will talk soon. Mm -hmm.